At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Genesis chapter 15 this morning, verses 1 through 21. Let me read God's word for us together. Scripture says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river Euphrates to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenzanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your grace. You are worthy. You are to be worshipped in all the world. And Lord, we thank you for your word. This morning, Lord, help us to hear your word well, to receive it. And Lord, if anything happens today, may our faith increase in you. May we see your abundant character, your, your great integrity. May we see who you are. And may our faith be set in bedrock on you. Anchor our hearts to you this morning, Lord, and help us to trust you more and more. So give us Give us your grace. Help us by your spirit this morning to listen, to receive, to be humble, to grow. And may your word, which is living and active and powerful, the word of Jesus, be taken by your spirit. And may it produce fruit in our lives that outlast us. 
We thank you for speaking. We pray now that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Have you ever wondered, when will God come through? How can we be sure that God is reliable, that he's dependable? How can we really be sure that we can, we can trust him? If you've ever wondered about the credibility of someone, you're asking those questions about them. You're trying to figure out, are they full of integrity? Will the promises that they make stick? Will the things that they say to me or the, the, the way that they lean in and devote themselves to me, will it actually last? Will, will the, the words that they declare come true? That's how it is in any relationship when we're depending on the other in a relationship. And so we not only assess that with one another, but we often assess that towards God. Can he keep his word? Will he? Maybe you are in a season right now of tremendous doubt. Maybe you're in a season where you're questioning, uh, maybe because it's been so hard this year, the credibility of God. And you wonder, will he keep his word? Is he, is he dependable? You've heard about some promises that God has made, perhaps, and you say, I don't know if that's really going to hit the mark for me. I don't, I don't know if that's really going to be, be the case. Well, this morning, I want to help us see the dependability the credibility of God, so that we trust him all the more, so that our faith, as I prayed, is anchored on the bedrock of Christ and who he is. We're in our series this Advent season called Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished. And each week we are looking at one of the major covenants or promises that God has made in the scripture to help us see how God keeps his promises. It's one of the longings of our hearts, that we have stability, that there, is, that there is security in, in the world that God has given to us, that, that we can trust him ultimately. We, we don't love it when people go back on their words, when they're not dependable, when they're not credible in what they say. And, and that causes a great amount of anxiety and tension within us. And so we, we long for God to be dependable. We ask that question of him, can I, can I trust you? Are you gonna keep your word? And through looking at these covenants, we're seeing just how faithful God is. We're seeing how he lavishes us with his grace, all culminating in the promises that he has made for us in Christ. Last week, we looked at the covenant that God made with Noah. It was a covenant, and he made it with all creation, all, uh, all living things. He made this covenant to be patient with us, to preserve us. You remember, he put up his warrior bow in the cloud and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be patient with you so that you'd repent, so that you'd come back to me so that we could be reconciled to one another. We move forward in the Bible story this week to the next major covenant there, the covenant that God makes with Abraham, or as we have it here in the text, Abram. God hasn't changed his name yet, but Abram. God makes this covenant with Abraham, and it's one covenant that has multiple places in the storyline that it shows up. God starts with this covenant in Genesis 12. We're gonna look here at God's reiteration of that covenant here in Genesis 15, and he does it again in Genesis 17 as well. The question we're looking at is how do we know God will keep his word? How do we know he's reliable? And the way the scripture shows us this this morning, the way this text in particular shows us God's reliability is in this way. It's that God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. We can believe God's promises 
because of who he is. We can trust him because of his very nature for us. God's covenant with Abram, Abraham enables us to respond and see God and his character and trust him more and more. This passage this morning in Genesis 15 shows us three ways that we can respond to God who keeps his promises. If God's character is sound, if he keeps his word, if he is faithful in every way, well, then that should do something in our lives. It should produce a result within us. And I want to help us see those ways that we respond to God. As we see who he is, we can be firmly resolved in our faith that he will keep his promises and that means something very specific for us. Let me take us to the first response that we would have towards God who keeps his promises, and that is that we can rest in his reassurances. We can rest in God's reassurances. Now, to enter us into the story of what is happening here with Abram and with God, we need to get a little background. We need to understand where we've been, as it were. We find and we meet Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Where God comes to Abram, Abram is living in this community called Ur, it's modern day Iraq. Uh, God, uh, Abram is living there, it's a pagan city, he's a pagan himself. And God comes and he speaks to Abram and he says, follow me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you, I, I want you to go to a land that you don't know, a place you've never lived before, I, I want you to trust me completely. And I'm going to take you out of here and lead you to that land, and I'm going to make your name great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause all the nations of the earth to be blessed through your family, through your offspring, and I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to settle you in a home. And he makes these promises to Abram. Abram, being a man of faith and, and hearing God's word, trusts God. He, he says, okay, and he follows God's call on his life, and he, and he leaves his home with his family, and he journeys out. He, he ventures out into this place. He doesn't know where he's going to end up. And imagine putting yourself in, the, in that circumstance, right? You're called to somewhere you don't know, to trust a God you don't know, for a blessing, for promises that you haven't received yet. Abram's full of faith. He starts off well, says yes, he follows God. But as we read along in the story from Genesis 12 and the 13 and 14, we see some problems hit the ground. For Abram and for his life, things don't really go the way maybe he expected. First of all, the promise of, of having a child and, and that child and, and his family growing and all of his offspring being a blessing to the world. Abram just kind of can't quite get his head around this because he's old. When God speaks to him in Genesis 12, Abram is 75 years old. Here in this passage, probably several years later, closer to 80 maybe, he's, he's up there. No offense to you seniors, but Abram's getting older. And, and his wife is old as well, and so the window for childbearing has closed, just biologically speaking. So, so now the, the, the tension begins to be raised in Abram's heart. Like, how are we going to, where are children going to come from? How's God going to deliver on that promise? He gets to the land, but he's not a resident there. He doesn't just occupy it and just put down roots and say, this is, this is my land. He realizes he's a sojourner in that land. There's, there's kingdoms and there's leaders and there's kings already set up in that land, and, and he's just a refugee there, passing through, as it were. And so the question of, like, how is this land going to be my land? Where's that going to come from? Furthermore, his family goes through a significant trial in Genesis 14 where his nephew Lot is abducted. He's a victim of a tribal ambush. He's abducted, dragged off, 
And a, a regional war starts to happen. Abram has to go to battle and he has to get the help of alliance kings around him to go and find Lot and to rescue him so that his family is okay. Stability is in short supply. I mean, it doesn't feel like anything is solid ground for Abram and for his family. And it's here where we meet God and Abram in Genesis 15. Now, now, now get this. Abram is tense. He just had a big battle. He had other kings that had to come in and help him to deliver Lot. There's no stability. And if I'm Abram, I'm wondering, is this God really going to back his plans up? Is he going to back up these promises? Will God deliver? And here's what God does. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 15. After all these things, after the tenuous move, the, the abduction, the battles, all of it, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God shows up in Abram's life and he speaks to him. And he says something very profound. God shows up and he gives his authoritative, powerful, living word. The word that caused light to come out of darkness. The the word that formed the world. He speaks to Abram and he says, fear not. It's a singular, most repeated phrase from God to his people throughout the entirety of Scripture. God shows up and says, don't be afraid. Abram, you are afraid. You're worried. You're full of doubt. Don't be afraid. And we go like, well, why shouldn't we be afraid? And here's where God banks his promises on who he is. Don't be afraid. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your shield. You see, God brings who he is to the table for Abram. He he wants Abram to trust him. He wants his fears to subside. He wants Abram to be able to rest through who he is. Abram, he's saying, get your eyes on me. See who I am. God calls Abram to see him for who he is. He says, I'm your shield. The term there could be understood as a protector, the guardian, the covering over his life, the leader who goes before him and cares for him. Abram's had to rely here in various places on some others, the king of Sodom even, and the king of Sodom's like, hey, why don't you just come be under my kingdom? You know, we'll just have a great alliance going on. And God comes into Abram and says, you don't have to trust him, I'll take care of you. I'm your shield. I'm your protector. Your reward will be very great. God is calling Abram away from entrenching his heart in the alliances of this world to himself. He's calling Abram away from banking his life on the things of this world, the stability that this world really doesn't offer, but it tries to promise. He, he, He calls Abram away from banking there and saying, put your trust in me. See who I am. See my promises. Your reward will be very great. Do you see what God does here, how he speaks? He identifies who he is. Like, just rest on me. I am your shield. And this reality of who God is isn't just for Abram. It's found all throughout the scriptures. The Psalms are filled with the praise of God calling us to see God as our shield, as our rock, as our fortress, Brothers and sisters, this is, this is help that we have from God's word, from God himself, to get our minds at rest, to get our hearts at rest, to believe and trust him. What kind of God do we have? Is he weak? Is he powerless? 
Is he fleeting? Can he not help us? No. He is our shield. He is our fortress. He is our protector. God says to us throughout his word, trust me. Rest on me. I'll protect you. Your reward will be very great. Here God is calling Abram back to this. It's these kinds of reassurances that that fathers give to their children when they're scared and when they're, they're frightened. Uh, Cormac McCarthy's Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Road, uh, illustrates this really, really well to me. It's a story about a father and a son journeying on a road in a post-apocalyptic world. This catastrophe has happened, everything is horrible, and the bad guys are after them. And it doesn't seem like it's going to go well. And the father is trying to get his son to security and to safety. And yet the son, along the road, along the dangers of the road, along the journey, is just filled with fear, and he doesn't know if he's going to make it. As they journey, being threatened, the father constantly reassures the boy. At one point in the story, the son asks, we're going to be okay, aren't we, Papa? The father says, yes, we are. Nothing bad is going to happen to us? That's right, because we're carrying the fire. Yes, because we're carrying the fire. Just, just hear the confidence of the father to the son. Hear, hear God's confidence towards us as, as he reminds us and he tells us, I'm your shield. I've got you. I'm powerful. I care. Rest in me. Rest in my reassurances. This word had to be so life-giving, so stabilitizing for Abram in the midst of his fears. I am your shield, Abram. Your reward will be very great. That's what his reassurances do for us. They settle our hearts. We can rest in his promises because of who he is. Just as God was Abram's shield and provider, so he is for us as well. And we need these reminders. That's why we need to get into the word regularly, that's why the scriptures are here for us to remind us of God's faithfulness, to remind us of his character so that we'll trust in him. That's why I want to encourage you, if you are not already, to be a person who is reading the word daily, not to check off a box, not as if it's some duty that you can just say, okay, I read the Bible today, but your heart and your mind needs to hear God's reassurances. You forget, I do too. And we need to hear God saying to us, I'm your shield. Don't forget that. And if we neglect where God speaks to us from his word, we're going to get full of fear. We're going to have our doubts creep in and and destabilize our hearts. We need these reminders. We need regular views of the grace of Jesus and his work for us so that we know He's come and lived for us. He's died on the cross for us. He was raised to life again on the third day for us. We can trust him. He's gonna take care of us. He's our shield. We need the word of God and the character of God from the word to cover our hearts and minds with his grace. I'm confident this morning that you need to hear God say, don't be afraid, I'm your shield. And you're going to need it tomorrow, and you're going to need it the next day, and you're going to need it every day this next week, probably for the rest of your life as well. So don't neglect the, the way he seeks to reassure us from his word. Just want to encourage you in one practice in this. Read Romans 8 once a month. I mean, just, get, just let the first verse of Romans 8, there, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're struggling with sin, if you're just feeling condemned, like, okay, Romans 8 right there, 
Those reassurances are there to help you rest in God's grace. Another practice to help you in this and to being reminded so that you can rest in God's reassurances is being in Christian community or what we call our life groups here at Woodside. Being with other believers, even digitally right now on a Zoom call, to have those other brothers and sisters in Jesus speak gospel truth to your mind, to tell you of who God is and to remind you of his grace. I need other Christians, you do too, who say to you, hey, don't be afraid. He's your shield. You're forgetting that today. Remember him. We need others to remind us of God's love towards us so that we'll not give in to our fears and doubts. That's why being in community is a means of his grace to us. That's why having his word is speaking who he is over us. When you're in those environments, when you are with other community, when you're in the word, you'll rest in his reassurance of his plans and his promises for you. That's our first response here. In the anxiety of of Abram's heart, in the fear and the doubt of like, God, are you actually gonna deliver on these promises? God shows up and he reassures him. Don't be afraid, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. The story moves on and it leads us to our second response and that's to actually believe in God's promises. Not just to intellectually affirm that he's made promises, but to, to bank our lives, as it were, to believe confidently, to, to hoist all that we are into what he has promised, into him. We need to believe his promises. Now, Abram here, he hears God say, I'm your shield, your reward shall be very great. But he asks God, he's like, okay, God, you said some things, few chapters back, several years ago, where's the, where's the proof of them? I, I don't see it. This is what he says in verse 2. Abram says, oh Lord God, what will you give me? Like what reward's going to be there? For I continue childless. Or the Hebrew, I shall die childless. Like I have no children. And you promised. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He's, he's not even of my family. He's not a biological line. He's just a servant in my house. Like he'll inherit all my stuff. So how's this going to work out, God? There's no kids. Abraham went further in verse 3. Behold, you have given me no offspring. Now he's, he's getting close to saying, God, like you promised and there is no children. A member of my household will be my heir. And notice here, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. God doesn't leave him there. He speaks to him. He says, Abraham, here's what I have to say to you. And he reassures him with his promises. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God's going to deliver on his promises. Your very own son shall be your heir. And to help him illustrate that, verse 5, he brings him outside. He's like, Abram, just, just come with me outside the tent here. Let's just, let's just have a talk right now. God, God brings him out. I love this. Brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Maybe, maybe you've gone outside recently and you've looked up at the stars and with the, the light pollution that's around our communities, you see, you see a bunch, you see a good amount, but, but imagine no electricity and very, very little light out in the middle of the wilderness, and if you've ever experienced that, you know the, the amount of stars, planets, and light that's just in the heavens on a dark night. It's astounding. So I love God's sense of, Irony here is like, count them, look to the heavens, number the stars, count them. If you are able to number them, you're not. <laughs> it's too many. And he says, so shall your 
offspring, so shall your children be. I mean, God's just abundantly lavishing him with his promises here. He's just, he's just showing, here's the expansiveness of my grace to you, Abram. Here's how big this is going to get. Multitude upon multitude. You won't even be able to count them. Now, if you're Abram in this moment, and you're struggling like your wife is old past childbearing years, you're old, <laughs> right, God? Okay, uh-huh, you're going to do that? How would you, what would you do? How, how would you believe? How would you respond in that? Here's where Abram's faith shows itself. Verse 6. He believed the Lord. He, all he had was the promises of God and God's firm character, and he believed the Lord. And the scripture says that that faith was credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. Faith propelled Abraham forward. He believed the Lord. Abram did nothing to earn God's favor. He did, he, there's no amount of good things that he did to finally get God's righteousness. It doesn't say Abram diligently obeyed everything that God said and God counted that to him as righteousness. All he did was come with faith and say, God, I trust you. I believe your word. I believe what you said. And that was counted to him as righteousness. One of the most important verses in all of scripture because it shows us the nature of the gospel order. That we don't come to God, we don't receive God's grace because of what we do or based on how we perform or the way we keep his law. We don't get God's grace because he looks at us and says, you're obedient and so you're in. God loves us, he shows us his grace and we receive that by faith. It starts with God and all we are as receptacles of his grace as we trust him Faith counted to us as righteousness. God makes promises. Christ enacts those promises through his life and death and resurrection. And the Spirit applies those promises to us. And what do we do? We believe. We're people of faith. Now it's here in this moment, as we, as we look to what God is doing, that something very official happens. Verses 7 through 19, a ceremony takes place. If we were going to have a ceremony today, a covenant ceremony of some sort, a similar picture to that would be that of a wedding. A wedding ceremony would happen. A couple would come and they would make promises to each other and exchange a sign of that and then they would be married. And so here in this situation, as God is speaking to Abram and declaring promises to him, he said, we need to have a promise-making, promise-keeping ceremony, a covenant ceremony. In the ancient Near East, it was called cutting a covenant God once again promises to give a land to Abram. So now he focuses that covenant in on the land. Look with me at verse seven. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abraham goes, okay, you've promised children, but now like, let's talk about land. And God's saying, you're gonna give me this land, but how will I know I will possess it? Abram asks. And God says, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll cut a ceremony. We'll cut a covenant. He said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brings all these things. Now, in a, in a covenant-cutting ceremony in the ancient Near East, what these cultures would do as they were making these agreements, and often these covenant agreements were agreements between kings. They were treaties between nations. 
And the kings would get together and they would, they would take these animals and they would cut them right down the middle. They would cut them in half and they'd lay the pieces one on one side, one half on one side, and one half on the other side. And then to, to certify that ceremony, to certify the promises and the treaties that they were making to each other, both parties would walk in the middle between the cut pieces and they would declare to each other, may what happened to these animals being cut in two, cut to pieces? May what happened to them happen to us it happened to me if I don't keep my promises. If I fail on my keeping of the promises to you, may I end up like these dead, cut-up pieces animals. It's pretty serious here. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty deep covenant. It's not, it's not like you and I buying a house today and signing, you know, 10,000 pages with our life on there. Nobody's going to cut us to pieces. But they're invoking that curse upon themselves if they fail in their promises and in their oaths. So Abram understands the ceremony is about to happen. I'm going to enter into a covenant ceremony with God, a covenant relationship with God. So he comes and he cuts the animals in two, lays them out. Seems like the, the day kind of rolls on. The vultures and the carrion birds are flying overhead and they're ready to come down and eat off the carcasses. And so Abram's driving them away. And then we get to verse 12. And the sun goes down. Abraham falls into a deep sleep. It's the sense of a vision happening. A dreadful great darkness fell upon him. This is just the seriousness of entering into a covenant relationship with the almighty Lord God. Being in God's presence to make a covenant is a fearful thing. And God comes in and he speaks. God kind of lays out for Abram what's going to happen from there on out. Know for certain that your offspring, so again the promise there, you will have children, your offspring, they'll be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they'll come out with great possessions. That's basically Genesis 35 through the book of Exodus. It's exactly what happened. Family journeyed down, sojourned down to Egypt where they didn't, they weren't citizens of. They were there for 400 years, entrapped in slavery. God liberates them and brings them out. And they plundered the Egyptians. God said, that's what's gonna happen here. As for you, Abram, you'll die. You'll go to your fathers in peace and buried in a good old age. And then the fourth generation, your family will come back and they'll take this land. There's God's promises about the land, what's happening there. And then we get to the dramatic part of the ceremony. So a lot of proclamation, a lot of vow sharing in that. But then the act of the ceremony happens. It's as if they were signing on the dotted line. The ratification occurs. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, what appeared? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. These are, these are representations of the presence of God. God himself shows up there with Abram right in the midst. And now it's time for the two parties to walk the aisle, as it were, to walk between the pieces and declare these oaths to one another, but they don't both go through. It was dark, smoking fire pot, a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Abram's sidelined. He's not walking through. Why? Because God is making these promises based on himself, on his character. He's the only one proclaiming, if I fail in these promises, may these curses happen to me. It's an unconditional, unilateral covenant of love to, towards Abram. 
Abram, you don't have to be a part of this deal. You're just gonna receive my blessings and receive my goodness and receive all that I promise to you. God and God alone signs on the dotted line. God is the one who passes through the pieces. Now let me tell you why this is important here. God's promises are on the basis of God's character, of who he is. That everything he said he will do for Abraham will come about. God cannot lie. It helps us see God's promises, that God will keep them. And just to help us focus in on promises that God has made, consider John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Here's a promise of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We're told that the promise states that whoever believes, whoever banks their hope on Jesus, whoever trusts in him and his atonement, his sacrifice for us won't perish but we'll have eternal life. And we we need to remember promises like that because God has banked it on his character. He's guaranteed it on who he is. We need to believe those promises. That's how life is found. Not by our good works, not by our efforts to earn God's attention, not by trying to reform so that he affirms us, but by believing in his word, believing in what he has said, believing in who he is. He's given us tangible ways even to remember. And, and I want to just kind of take a moment here in the middle of my sermon and, and invite us into one of those tangible reminders. It's the, the, the Lord's Supper. The practice of, of taking the elements that the Lord has, that Jesus has ordained for us to remember his promises to us. You, you may want to go ahead and get the elements here and I'll let you kind of uh, go ahead and take the covering off the paper or the covering for the bread because I know that takes a little bit and a sharp fingernail to get under that. But listen to me as I talk about what these elements symbolize. They don't change. They don't transform into something else. The, the Lord's Supper symbolized in the bread and in the cup is a means of remembrance for us of what Jesus has done, of his promises to us. We, we partake of the bread which represents Jesus' body, his physicality for us. He became a man and dwelt among us. The Son of God put on flesh and blood, lived here among us perfectly. And the bread represents that to us. It tells us of Jesus' body given for us, his life given for us. And, and the, the cup, the juice there represents his blood, his blood that he poured out on the cross, his blood that he shed for our sins. You see, we failed the covenant We failed to keep God's law. We failed in that the curses should be upon us. We should be the ones cut to pieces. And Jesus was the one who went to the cross. His hands were pierced. His side was pierced as well. His feet nailed to a cross. His blood poured out. He was the one who was metaphorically cut to pieces because we failed the covenant. And the bread and the cup reminds us of what he's done. So that everyone who believes in Jesus as we partake of this here in just this moment can be reminded God keeps his promises. We can bank on him. We can believe on him. So, so let, me, let me pause here and give you a moment just to pray. And then we'll partake of the bread and the cup together to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. Let's pray.
Father, as we come to this remembrance of what you have done for us in the Lord's Supper and partaking of the bread and the cup, remind our hearts, Lord, that you are trustworthy. Help us to see your great love, that you keep your promises, even when we fail in keeping ours. That you gave us your own son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. So Lord, I pray, I pray for everyone here that we would have banked our hope in Christ. And if there are those here among us who have not, Lord, may, may this moment, may they believe in Jesus, may they believe that he is the Savior and Lord, and that all that he has come to do in his life and death and resurrection, may they believe that that is their only hope. We thank you, Father, for reminding us. And now as we partake, would you be glorified? We ask this in your son's name. Amen. And so Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Partake together. And the scripture says that in the same way, after supper, he gave thanks and he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you partake of this, do this in remembrance of me. Partake of the cup together, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. We proclaim to one another the Lord's death until he comes again. These, these elements remind us that God is trustworthy, that we can depend on him. The covenant points us to respond to God in the fact that we should rest in his assurances, that we should believe his promises, and it points us forward to anticipate, thirdly, anticipate God's provision of a forever home. This is the last statement here in this chapter in verses 18 to 21. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant. Literally, he cut a covenant with Abram. And he said to him, here's the promises again, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God says, here's the land. I am promising to give it to you. He outlines the borders of what that land would look like. And if we read forward in the scripture story, we find God delivers on his promise. God keeps his word here. He, he takes his people up out of Egypt as he promised. He brings them into the promised land. We read through Exodus of the Exodus out of Egypt, and then uh, I'm sorry, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy show us the people of God wandering in the wilderness, waiting and being prepared to enter that promised land. And then we get to the story of Joshua, where God leads His people into the land, and and God sends them out, and they conquer and they take the land. They, they possess it. They drive out the foreign nations. And there at the end of the story of Joshua, at the end of the book, Joshua on his deathbed, he kind of has a, a testimonial to the people and he says, guess what, guys? God kept his promises. He delivered. He brought us into the land and he gave it to us and we possess it now. And it's his grace and his goodness. He kept his promises to us. And Joshua says, not one word, not one promise of God failed. He kept it for us. 
we've received the land. But that land wasn't Abraham's full hope. I love how the writer of Hebrews looks at Abraham's life. Abraham died. He didn't get into the land. He didn't see it as a promised land. He died. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Their lives were filled with faith, seeing God keeps his promises, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This world wasn't their home. It wasn't an eternal, lasting city for them. But as it is, the writer of Hebrews says, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham, the patriarchs, the people of faith, were all looking forward to an eternal and forever home that we would have with God when Christ comes again. So the story runs forward. It shows us Christ and what he has done to rescue us in his life and death and resurrection and how he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. The promise of an offspring to Abram is fulfilled in Christ. That Christ is the one who fulfills God's promises and he in his first coming sets up the second coming when he, Emmanuel, would make all things new. God with us. Do you remember the story? That's, that's what the Bible starts with and ends with. In Genesis, God dwells with his people in the garden. And we break the covenant. And so God works. And he has a way to rescue by his being with us in Christ, coming for us in his first advent. And doing all to secure our salvation. He promises to come again. And to be God with us forever and ever. Takes us to Revelation 21. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. That's the future hope that we have. That one day we will be with God forever that he will come and that Christ will return and make all things new and make all things right with us again, that we will experience Emmanuel, God, with us fully and forever. That's what our faith should propel us forward towards. That's what we should anticipate. Heaven isn't some sort of idea of paradise. It's the reality of being with God forever in relationship with him, of the covenant never being broken, the covenant never being stretched, that we are with him forever and ever as he makes all things new and reconciles all things to himself. We should anticipate that. Our hope should be strong in God's promises because our home is secured with him. It should propel us forward to share the good news, to, to declare to every person, there's a savior, there's a king, there's a promise-keeping God. You can trust him, bank your life in him, and be assured of a forever home with Christ He'll never leave you or forsake you. That's why we share. Why is this true? Why is this all true? Because God's promises are firmly anchored in his character. How can we be sure God will keep his promises? Because of who he is. If we, like Abram, wonder whether he'll deliver us, or if he'll do what he says he will, we look, need to look no further than Christ, what he's done for us, and his unchanging character, He's came and come and given himself. He's died for us. He's so committed to keeping his promises that he gave up his own son for us to secure everything for our salvation. Friends, we have every reason to trust God. 
His promises are banked in his character. They're fully anchored in who he is. So let's believe, let's trust, and let's rest assured in all that he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your precious promises. Lord, where we need stability, would we look to your word? Would we look to what you have done for us in Christ? And would we believe? Would you anchor our hearts in Christ today? And help us as we respond to you in all of life, trusting you moment by moment, day by day, and anticipating your return again to make all things new and to be with us forever. Thank you for your word now, Lord. May it bear fruit in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.